his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. What is it to be a saint or to become a saint, and, and how do we understand this call to be a saint? Should we strive to be saints among us? There's a story in, an, in a book called The Treasure of Jewish Folklore that goes like this. A young man once came to a great rabbi and asked him to make him a rabbi. And it was the winter time, and the, and the wise rabbi stood at the window looking out into the yard, and all the while, the rabbinical candidates talked long and glowingly about his piety and all that he had learned about faith. And he was really feeling the need to impress. And at one point, he says to the rabbi, I always go dressed in spotless white like the sages of old. I never drink alcohol. Only water ever passes through my lips. And I also perform austerities. I have sharp-edged nails in my shoes that mortify me. I, in the coldest weather, I'll lie naked in the snow to torment my flesh. And also daily, the shamas in the synagogue gives me 40 lashes on my bare back to complete my perpetual penance. And while the young man was speaking, a white horse was led into the yard into a water trough. The horse drank and it rolled in the snow as horses sometimes do. And the rabbi said, oh, look, that's a horse, also dressed in white. It drinks nothing but water, has nails in its shoes, and it rolls naked in the snow as we speak. Rest assured, he gets his daily rations of lashes from his master as he pulls his cart. Now I must ask you, is this a saint or is this a horse? Such is the question about being a saint. What does it take? Should we strive to be saints? It's been my experience as those in the church, we talk about sainthood, but often I hear us talk about those who have gone on ahead of us into glory or those who have lived exemplary lives or, or specifically or especially spiritual lives set apart from others in the world. Hence, these are the saints. Some faiths canonize the saints, such as St. Mark, St. Matthew, St. Luke, or St. John, and maybe you're familiar with those, St. Francis or St. Teresa of Calcutta, names that we're probably familiar with, those who have been canonized. You might be familiar with traditions that follow feasts and remembrance of saints who have something to teach us about our own faith. And I love that tradition of the church. But as Methodists, we understand and approach the saints a little differently. But that doesn't mean we don't consider sainthood, if you will, important. It is important. So if someone were to ask you today, what is a saint? How would you answer that question? Would we encourage or should we even encourage anyone to aspire to be a saint? Or do we want to be careful not to be like an aspiring young rabbinical candidate trying to be worthy in his life to be a rabbi. So I thought, what do the scriptures tell us? Well, in the Old Testament, I only found one use of the word or the equivalent to the word of saint. And it's in Psalm 31, verse 23. Love the Lord, all you his saints. 
The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts haughtily. In the New Testament, or the Greek text, we find the word 63 times. We have it in, in Matthew chapter 7, 27, where it talks about the resurrection of the dead. The tombs will be opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And then the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, where it's used to describe the living believers. Now as Peter went here and there among the believers, he came down also to the saints living in, in Lydda. So we see that scriptures tell us that saints are those who are dead or alive. And consistently saints are those who have been set apart or are set aside again in life and in death for some good work that God might do through them. And I think what we can discover is that being or becoming a saint is not a noble endeavor and it's not being set apart from others because we have exceptionally spiritual lives. Being a coming or becoming a saint is for us all. It begins, I believe, at the waters of baptism. It's the waters of our baptism that remind us that we have saintly expectations placed upon us that we are called to live into. And, and sainthood, as I understand it today, is less of an achievement more of a call upon our lives. Paul says this in his opening words to the Romans. We are called to be saints, he says. So I do believe that the story of Lazarus helps us in this idea and understanding of what it means to be a saint because, well, Lazarus had been both alive and dead. <laughs> and I think he gives us a really good story to reflect upon here, does John. It's a very relatable story. Because it relates to our experience, our collective experience of life and death and mortality. It speaks to the grief, the emotion, the hard questions, the disappointments that we experience when we face mortality. So much of our faith is about God's protection and, and God's loving care of us so that we might not stumble or be harmed, yet bad things still happen. And it can be deeply disappointing. It can be deeply confusing when those promises of God's protection don't seem to come to our aid. And it is at this intersection of, of life and death, of hope and despair, that we begin to see where we live. Jesus steps into the intersection in this moment of life and death. Everything has fallen apart. Everyone had expected him to be there, but they were trying to make sense of him not being there as expected and requested. They had told Jesus ahead of time that his friend was sick, but Jesus chooses not to be there. And as Jesus is approaching the tomb, you hear these questions being asked. You hear the people making comments that, boy, he must have loved Lazarus since the tears. And then there's questions about, but why did he not keep Lazarus from dying, having helped so many others that he didn't even know? And then Jesus asks that the stone be removed, and Mary seems to think that Jesus is in a bit of denial herself. And she says, four days, Jesus, he's been gone, four days, it's too long. And often I wonder in the back of her mind, she wasn't thinking, you're too late, where were you? But then he says, remember, Mary, I told you that if you believed, I'd show you 
God's glory. And she says, I understand Jesus, but she thinks he's talking about that day for which Matthew alludes to where we will all be raised from the dead. And this is where the story takes a dramatic turn. And we begin to see the point of Jesus' absence and what he wants to teach. And we begin to see that the promises of our faith, even at such times, hold true and firm. Jesus prays to God, offering thanksgiving, not for God to hear, but for others to hear. And he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And in a very austere verse, we simply read that a dead man came out. And his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth. His face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus says to them, unbind him and let him go. Now the glory of this moment, I believe, is that God's care goes beyond this life and it finds us in death. Now John is going to tell us that this was the moment that many around Jesus began to truly believe. But we're also going to read that this was the moment that those around Jesus who were threatened by him decided that he must be dealt with. In reading Eugene Peterson's transliteration just a few verses later, they say, what do we do now? This man keeps on doing things, creating God signs. And if we let him go on, pretty soon everyone will be believing in him. And the Romans will come and remove what little power and privilege we have left. So indeed, again, we see that we are at this intersection of death and belief and, and unbelief and life and love and hate all at the same time. Now, I find this story to create a lot of mysterious questions for me. I would love to talk to Lazarus. What was this like for him? Did he even want this? What did Lazarus experience in those four days when he was gone? And what do our loved ones experience beyond that veil of death? Did he see what lies beyond? What was the rest of Lazarus' life like? And what was it like to have to go through this again in his life? But John is not interested in such questions. John doesn't answer that for me. Instead, what John wants us to see, I believe, is what Jesus came for. And that sometimes the world's not ready for it. I think John wants us to understand where Jesus' life, his death and resurrection, intersection our life, our death, and our resurrection. Isaiah tells us that God will destroy on this mountain the shroud that cast over all people. He will swallow up death forever. Jesus is that person. Death has been destroyed forever. But Jesus has done more than bring Lazarus back from the dead. In this story, there's more here to teach us about our sainthood and the call of our lives on this side of life. I think it's worth noting that those with Jesus who watched, they were called to participate. They too were called to step up. They removed the stone. They removed the shrouds that covered his body and they freed him to walk around this world again. So this moment has much more to do with the, than with the miracle of raising Lazarus. It is just as much about how we are called to free and unbind anyone wrapped in the trappings of death or anything that keeps us from living life fully. 
I think John wants us to contemplate these acts here. We are saints who live on this side of life, and we know those who are bound by sins, our sickness, our poverty. And Jesus has called us to step into those moments and into those realities, freeing those who walk in this life, stumbling around in tombs of all kinds. You and I, in this world that we live in, we are bound by so many things that are life-restricting and life-taking. So many things that make it difficult to see the promises of God are true. But when we see those things, we find our calling. We find the place that we are to go and to live. And while we have the miracle of life's coursing, coursing through our veins, our job is to unbind with Christ's help. I wonder also when Lazarus came out of that tomb, he must have wondered where he was. Having visited the other side of life, did he think he was entering heaven? I mean, he stepped out and there's Jesus. And like today, stepping out of this place, being in that darkened tomb and stepping into that light must have blinded him. It must have been a radiant day with, with Jesus standing there. Surely this was heaven. I wonder what he thought when he realized, nope, he had just walked back to earth. <laughs> you see, in the tomb, Lazarus was dead. But then walking out of the tomb, Lazarus walked in, back into the fray of life. And one day we will all go home. Lazarus' story is our story. One day we will all go home, but until then, we are saints. And we are called to set aside our lives to unbind, unfold, raise up and to forgive and to heal lives. And the truth is, for you and me, heaven and earth are always near us. They're always close to us. Today you sit surrounded by saints. All who are in this place, look around and see. If you want to see what a saint looks like, they're right here with you. Today we remember the saints who have gone before us, and we remember saints that we have never met on this side of life. And I don't fully understand it, but I believe it's true that we are indeed amongst the great cloud of witnesses, even now. And when we come to this table today, Christ's table, we can know that even when life is bad, Christ is with us. I believe at this table, in this bread and the cup, that we get to experience heaven today, on earth today. And maybe it's possible that you come here today bound by things that are holding you back, robbing you of the life that God wants for you. And if that's true, I pray that you will look up and that you will see Christ. And whatever it is that's holding you back or holding you down, robbing you of life, let Christ help remove that. Let us help each other take those cloths off and let them fall to the ground like the death cloth of Lazarus so that we might live again. And as a church, that's who we're called to be. So remember your baptism today. Remember the vows of your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. Give of your time feeding the hungry and the homeless. We need your help. 
Gather together in small groups and in Sunday school classes. Share your life together. Share your souls together. Hold one another accountable with grace and mercy. Walk with those who grieve by praying for them, making prayer blankets for them, and being present for them. And remember that we live in between. We live in the intersection of heaven and earth, but we stand there in that gap with Christ today. And in that place is where we live. It is where we're called. So I want to let the words and the prayer of Jan Richardson on this All Saints Sunday remind us of that very thing. Would you pray with me? God of the generations, when we set our hands to labor, thinking we work alone, remind us that we carry on our lips the words of prophets, in our veins the blood of martyrs, in our eyes the mystics' visions, and in our hands the strength of thousands. Thanks be to God. Amen.